0: Um, the only thing I have update-wise is uh, that we are launching a brand new series next week called From Now to Forever. This will be our uh, kind of fall holiday series. It'll go all the way through the end of the year. So I hope that you will come and be a part of that. Uh, I'm here for like the next seven weeks straight, so I'm here for all that stuff. So uh, I'll be here with you guys, so, so come check it out, invite friends, and uh, it, it, won't be, it won't be too strange, I promise. Uh, today we're closing our series right now called jesus don't care and uh, this series has been really really special because uh, it came out of a sort of a i think i don't remember which which service it was but uh, i shared with somebody uh, in a talk that that jesus didn't care about the things they cared about and that was how i how i sort of had my little mini conflict with them as they were like well this is important i'm like but it's not important to jesus it's just important to you so so that, that came out in a sermon, and so from there, we, we decided that it would be fun to do a whole series about all the things Jesus doesn't care about. And uh, for the last eight weeks, we have played intro music to the message that was far too loud for a Sunday morning, primarily when it came to the bass note dropping. And the point of that was to drive home this, this really greater idea that, that, honestly, Jesus doesn't care about bass. That he will not talk with anybody in heaven about how loud their bass was or why they didn't have their bass turned up. Uh, this won't be part of the conversation. And yet, I think any of us who've grown up in church know that uh, it's been a huge conversation in church. The music volume, the, the, the lights, or the, the way things are. And, and churches tend to kind of gather with people who want to control and own how church should be instead of just be part of the church story and what the Holy Spirit seems to be doing. And so for eight weeks, we played this, this music over you that started off fairly uncomfortable, especially at 9 o'clock service, which is, uh, which is our little, a little bit more traditional crowd. Uh, but after a while, it actually got to be a fun thing where, where old folks that hated it would just cover their ears. And I had somebody walk in with headphones and point at me one time. And, and, I, and, I, and I love it because our goal is to be a church that's multi-generational. Our goal is to be a church that has, that has grandparents and, and parents and children all in the same service, all learning about Jesus, not a church for grandparents who like it how they like and a church for mom and dad who like it how they like or a church for young people who like it how they like. That, that, those exist, and I, and I you know, you know, more power to you. That's not what my heart is about. I want to live in the tension. I want to I pour a bass note over a crowd and then also like start off with some classical music and have both like the angst in the room just be like, ugh. And not care. Because you know that you're a part of a church family. And not everybody, you know, at, at, at the, the family meal loves all the food at the table the same way. We all have different tastes and different things we want to be a part of and different experiences we want to have. So I just want to applaud you one last time for engaging, for being part. And my hope is that you never, ever forget all the things Jesus doesn't care about in your life that you might be holding on to that he would rather you drop. And that's exactly what we're going to do today as we close this series. We've spent the last eight weeks talking about all these things. And yet, if I'm honest, as I sit up here today before you as a, as a human being, as a man, uh, in spite of learning about all these things, in spite of studying about all these things, in spite of teaching for you know six of the eight weeks or so about all these things, I still have stuff that I care about that I guarantee Jesus doesn't. I still have some stuff that I'm like, I, I, I want to let it go. I like point at it, like, like that shouldn't be here. But I pick it right back up and take it with me. Every single morning, I do every morning, I got my quiet time, I'm like, I'm gonna let this go. This particular thing is not going, and you know the stuff you care about, because usually it's the stuff that really bothers you. It's the stuff that like, ugh, like this, this, this just really bugs me. And yet, no matter how often you realize that it's not really a biblical bothering, it's more of a personal bothering, if you're not able to set it down, Then it's something that uh that you might want to look at and be curious about and that's what we're going to talk about today i'm going to use the illustration to uh to talk about those obstacles those things in our life i'm going to use the illustration of doors as this idea that i believe the bible is teaching us over and over and over that when we face obstacles the first thing that we want to do as human beings is just what i said kind of drop them try to get rid of them but we can't so we learn about what should be in front of us what What is important? You know, we want to be people of integrity. you got to work towards that. We want to be people of of authenticity. You want to work towards that. These are good things. These are hills to climb. You want to be someone who's generous. You want to be someone who's kind. You want to be all the things that the fruit of the Spirit say we're supposed to be that are being born from the tree of the life we're living. These are all important things to be in front of us. But then these other things, they're obstacles. And they sit in front of us, and they're almost impassable. So if you're a human being like me, and you hit that over and over and over. After a while, you're not really going to move uh, uh, anywhere past it except for around it or under it or over it. And yet the Bible has this really interesting illustration for us when it comes to the things that we're facing we can't seem to get past. It uses the illustration of doors that we're actually not supposed to get around our obstacles or over our obstacles or under our obstacles, which the world says is how you do it, right? You just outmaneuver it. You just outwork it. You just outhustle it. You just out-educate it. You just out-talent it. Like you overcome the obstacles in your life. Oh, you great conqueror. And then you do it just on a small scale. You usually Instagram it. Like, look what I did. Lost 10 pounds. But then on this other scale, you're like, I'm still going to wrestle with this thing over here that I'm not going to put on my profile. The Bible says that all of us have those kinds of obstacles, things that, that aren't healthy in front of us and instead things that hurt us. And even learning about all the things Jesus doesn't care about, we still in this room have to decide how do we actually apply those things that Jesus doesn't care about and move through these obstacles. And that illustration is used around doors. Jesus famously describes his very person as a doorway in John chapter 10. This is what he said. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, here he is, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them. Listen how pronounced he says this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Notice that he says I am the door and that when you know Jesus and have relationship with Jesus, it's not as if you pass through, you get an inoculation and you're good. Like I accepted Jesus when I was 12, I went to camp, right, I married a Christian woman or I came to Christ at Chesed, these are the spectrums, last week, and now I'm good. Jesus actually says you pass in and out of the door. You have relationship with him, you have things you wrestle with, you go out and you struggle and then you overcome and there's all these relationships that you have with Jesus in and out of the door and he says everything else in the world is a thief and a robber. This is that, a little bit of that passage that Chris, I think, addressed last week, that the world has things it tells you you should care about, that there are verses after verses after verses in the Bible that tell me about the things that I should be avoiding, and often it describes them as the world cares. It will say people fell away from God because they begin to care about the things the world cares about. Those things that the world cares about are thieving and robbing you of peace patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's just plucking your fruit every day and every night. That's what it does. It steals from you. And yet you try to attain more, so you grow more branches and more roots and bigger and more and you stretch. And I stretch and I try to overcome and I try to be this example and then the world sneaks up in the middle of the night and plucks all my fruit. And I'm less gentle and I'm less kind and I'm less integrous and I'm less of the person I wanna be and I just live out here in this place constantly having the joy of my life and the peace of my life and the contentment of my life stolen from my very branches. You could run that illustration all the way out because oftentimes, because I'm so bad at those things, then within my family tree, my children are also really, really gifted at not noticing when their things are stolen from their branches and their children are even more gifted and all of a sudden, generationally, this is just how the Clintons are. This is just how we do things. This is just, this, just what it is. I have an entire half of my family that just basically grew up in and out of prison. And I remember my cousins would just tell me, like, of course I'm going to go to jail. My dad's already told me how to survive in there. We already know people there. We were like 12. And this, 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 my cousin, my cousin Reggie, made a, like he knew how to be in jail at 12 because all his... His uncles and his dad and everybody else were like, yeah, that's just what's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna, you have to draw a line, somebody's gonna cross it, and you have to do what you gotta do. That stuff was sprinkled throughout my family, and it just became generationally how we operated. And it took a lot of, of, of self-transformation and self-evaluation to stop that behavior. This is what it means to choose the doorway of Jesus. This is what he's saying, that he, Jesus, is the only mechanism we can pass through to get from a disconnected existence of how the world says we should care to an intimately connected experience of how God says we should live. It doesn't mean I still don't carry those things. It doesn't mean I still, somewhere in my brain, don't think that there's certain lines that if somebody crosses, I just gotta do what I gotta do. I mean, you guys all know I would do amazing in jail probably, right? Everybody probably picks up on that. (laughs) right away. Every guy in here is like, yeah, he would do fine. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I try to start a church service quick. That's what I would try to do. But, but my, my point is, it doesn't mean genetically that I don't have those tendencies, but, but ultimately, ultimately what it's really coming to is, I don't want to experience life that way. I want to experience something different. So I choose to believe in that doorway of Jesus. This is also helpful to understand other things he said about himself. Because he later goes on to say that he's not only a doorway but he is actually the way through the door. John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says that he is the way for those hoping to escape the great thief of destruction and death. You have burdens, I have burdens, you have barriers, I have barriers. And we go right and our burden and barrier just goes right. We go left, it goes left. We go up, it goes up. We go down, it goes down. That's why 10 years of struggling with the same thing without Jesus usually just results in a bigger struggle. This is why when you're addicted to something, you just don't naturally, after a while, get bored of your addiction. Have you ever thought about that? Some people just get addicted to one thing. Like, like one thing. And it lasts for 25 years. Because it just continues to grow. There continues to be more. Jesus says, you're not going to overcome it. You're not going to avoid it. You're not going to defeat it. What you're going to do is recognize I'm there in front of it, and you're going to go through in relationship with me. In this way, with Jesus being the way, the way, and the door, he goes on to say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. These are all those people pacing back and forth in front of their obstacles, people like me, heavy laden, laboring, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, exchange what you're carrying for what I'm carrying, because you can't make it through the doorway of Christ with your giant backpack of dysfunction. You just sit there and you can find Jesus. This is a profound thought for anybody realizing. You can go to church, you can find Jesus, you can say, there's the door, and then try to get through with all your stuff, and it's like, dink, dink. And Jesus is like, mm, you gotta take that off. Well, I can't take that off, that's like my identity, that's who I am. I know. But it doesn't have to be. Well, well what am I gonna do if I take this off? You're gonna put this backpack on. Well, it's, what is that? Well, it's, it's righteousness. It's holiness, it's gentleness, it's all these things. It's seeds for the fruit that you're going to bear in your life one day. Well, that sounds boring. Yeah, but it's better than living out there with all the thieves and robbers. And so you exchange your choices, your legacy of choices, your family tree of choices, and you put on the armor of God, you put on the person of God, and you pass through that doorway in relationship and you carry a different burden, a burden you not only enjoy carrying after a while, but you were actually built to carry. You're like, I actually enjoy being kind. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy meeting people where they're at and relating to the struggle they're going through. That's the gift, by the way, that all your dysfunction comes with. It's because you understand what it means to carry 150 pounds of that. And a lot of you, you have dysfunctions I don't have, and I have dysfunctions you don't have, and they're different weights. And When you understand what it means to carry the dysfunction of alcoholism, you can sit with somebody with your backpack of righteousness and say, listen, I know what that's about, and I know what that's like, and I know how that really feels, and I know how uncomfortable it is. What if you exchanged it for Jesus? Man, I don't even know who I'd be without alcohol, without that numbing, without that that hiding. I know, me too, but this is what I experienced. This is why we gather, but it does no good to just talk for seven or eight weeks about all the things Jesus doesn't care about unless you actually drop the things Jesus doesn't care about. That's why this is so important, this idea of a doorway. Now, it doesn't mean that it's easy. I don't want anyone in here to think I'm, I'm in any way downplaying the difficulty of breaking uh, legacy dysfunction especially or even just things that you've habitually been kind of connected and intertwined with. Everyone in this room knows that even with the understanding, even with the realization, believers in Christ will still face obstacles and blocked paths. Now, some of it is self-imposed. Some of the stuff I've been talking about right now, it's choices that we've all made, and some of it, I just wanna address this, is not self-imposed, and it's actually brought on to us by the broken choices of others around us. Either way, your responsibility is to drop the burden. Either way. Your responsibility is not to carry the weight you've put on your own back, or the weight that that you've put on, or other people have put on your back. You have to be willing to walk through that doorway. So accepting the truth that in spite of all these things, God is still the door of hope and the way of life, here becomes the closing question of the series, Jesus Don't Care. I'll put it on the screen. How should we go about getting from where we are today to where we feel God calling us to be? It's a very important part of your own Christian evaluation. For those in the room that are uh, just spiritually curious, you're just kind of here because... You know, you got invited by a pretty girl, or you just, you walked by and smelled coffee, or I don't know, you're just here because someone tricked you. Either way, however you're here right now, here's the thing you need to realize. Your life is supposed to be transforming, hopefully for the better. You are supposed to be able to evaluate yourself from a few years ago and think, yeah, I am different than I was. Uh, I recently sat with somebody that knew the earlier pastoring version of Danny, and uh, I don't know if anybody's done any of the Enneagram stuff, but I'm an Enneagram 8 And that means that to me, conflict is intimacy. So if you want to fight with me, I just fall deeper in love with you. That's what it really means. And as a young person, I didn't know that. As a 25-year-old pastor, I've been pastoring full-time for 22 years. And teenagers especially love to fight, but I didn't play fair. Like, like I was like a dad who wrestled full weight with his four-year-old, right? Was just like, oh, you want to play? Uh," You know, I mean, it was... So I damaged people early in my ministry. And so I have consistently not one or two, consistently sat with people at coffees. They usually, the text usually goes like this. Hey, I've heard great things about you. I've heard God's really doing a lot in your life. Want to meet up? And I'm like, ah. I know what it is. I've heard you're different than you used to be. I want to get together and see. Now what happens when you sit with somebody different than you used to be is they then begin to lob in all the ways that you hurt them because you're suddenly safe. And they've been carrying these burdens. And they're like, remember that one time when I did this? And then you did this? <laughs> and I'm like, I-, I do remember that. Yeah, man, that was really over the top. That really hurt my feelings. And I'm like, that, that was pretty over the top. I'm really sorry for that. You could just, you could just see the, the, the weight fall out of people's lives when someone, I hope, that's doing the work meets with someone who's checking on how they're doing in their work. All of us in this room are supposed to be doing the work. You are not allowed to just, to, some of the most difficult Christians I sit with are Christians who think they figured it out. And they just smell what I would call, they, they smell uh, very pharisaical. They smell like Pharisees. They, they smell like religion. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, like I've grown up in church my whole life. You don't understand. Like, like, I dealt with that a long time. You don't understand. You don't understand. Anytime someone tells me I don't understand, I just want to fight so I can fall deeper in love with them. But I've learned just to allow that to be where they're at because that's their obstacle. They're people who need to be the smartest people in the room. And that's why they're usually the ones in the room that God doesn't seem to do very much with. You don't understand. I don't understand. And we certainly don't understand each other. We barely understand ourselves. That's why we have to go to Jesus, walk up to the door with our big giant burden, some of it we picked, some of it that was picked for us, and say, God, I don't understand. And he says, I do. And through his grace, he removes that and exchanges it. It's a beautiful, beautiful part. But I want to drive home this door illustration because it's a little easier said and done. So the question is, how do we go from where we are today to where we feel God is using us? In other words, even if I spent the next year digging deeper into all my things that God doesn't care about, how do I actually come overcome the obstacles I see in my life? My own shame, my own heartache, my own apathy, my own doubt, my own addictions, my own laziness, my own hatred, my own selfishness, my own greed, my own self-righteousness, my own pride? How do I overcome all these things that I know are packed inside my bag? How do I reach Jesus with the burden that I'm carrying? And the answer is doors. The Bible is funny because the way it it delivers information— Sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you can see some of these themes, and I think there is an honest door theme woven throughout especially the New Testament, but even all the way back in the Old Testament. He has built into the text clever and refreshing ways of getting our attention and allowing us to see these kinds of answers because he knew as humanity we would always face these kinds of questions. Seeing as Jesus talks so much about doors and doorways, it would make sense that after his time on earth was done, he would continue reminding us of this really important example of what it means to be in relationship with him. And so today I want to give you a a not often talked about example of that theme of doors and how those could work for you and could work for me. There are two wonderful biblical characters that I believe best illustrate for me. How we are supposed to allow the doorways of God to bring us through obstacles and closer to him. The first one is famous, and it's Peter the Rock. Peter is, is, is a well-known person in Scripture, and God uses him through all kinds of doorway examples to, uh, to overcome these obstacles, not only in his life, but other people's lives. The other one is not so famous, and her name is Rhoda the Teenager. Some of you in the room are like, finally, a sermon on Rhoda. No, you're not, because you had no idea who she is. Just stop. Peter, most of us know as the great disciple, the rock of, of the church. He's mentioned almost 200 times in the New Testament. Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's an epic, epic passage. Rhoda, not the same. Rhoda is only mentioned one time in the Bible, and it's in Acts chapter 12, which is where you can turn if you brought a Bible. I'll put verses on the screen. In the days of the early church, both the Jews and the Romans were hostile toward Christians, so they often met secretly in houses for prayer and worship. One such house was more famous than all the others, and it was a house in Jerusalem belonging to Mary, the mother of the disciple Mark. Certain traditions believe that Mary's house was the same house where the disciples celebrated the Last Supper with Christ. Rhoda was a servant girl in this house, which was a hub for the growing underground illegal church. And Rhoda's primary job, according to the text, was to watch the door. I also wonder if Rhoda had a lot of energy, as you're about to see in the passage, and maybe they just needed her to have something to do while they were talking about important church stuff. But this is where their two stories collide. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So you have this picture of this man who is, member of the rock of the church. He's he's kind of the, 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 the human version of who Jesus kind of was as the cornerstone of the church. Of course, that's Christ, but Peter's kind of functioning in that role. He's the pastor of pastors, and now he's captured. And the church leaders of the time meet in the house they know. They put Rhoda out the door, and they begin to pray earnestly for God not to take Peter from them because of the role that he plays. The important thing to realize right here when it comes to all these obstacles that we're talking about is that one of the most underutilized way we can overcome the obstacles in and around our lives is with earnest prayer. Earnest prayer blankets, all of our obstacles. It's almost like turning a light switch on. It may not remove every one of them, but you can sure see them a lot more clearly. And suddenly the shadows are gone and the gray's gone and you're like, oh no. And that's why some people find prayer so scary because who wants to spend time being quiet with God, especially knowing God knows everything you keep in the quiet? Like no one wants to deal with that. And so most of the time we just show up at church, close our eyes and let somebody else pray in our stead. And it's not the same. This church was a church that was praying for Peter. I received a quote on prayer just a little while ago. It says this, the first reason for prayer is the simple need we all have to know God. There is no way to draw near to the Lord apart from prayer. It is in prayer that we express to the Lord our love for him, our faith in him, our worship of him, and our surrender to him. If for no other reason the desire for intimacy with Christ ought to bring us daily to our knees. This is the critical truth presented throughout scripture about prayer. If you and I want to know God, if we want to know what that God does and doesn't care about, we must be in relationship with him. But without a willingness to tell God what's in our hearts through prayer, we are instead choosing to ignore talking with him at all. And so then the question is, how can any relationship be fostered when one party refuses to speak with the other, period? So as Christians, As much as church attendance is important or even studying the Bible is important, if you don't spend even five minutes, ten minutes, some time with God, even if you feel like you're doing it wrong, which, by the way, there's not a doing it wrong when it comes to prayer. There's just you before God. I've shared it with this church. Sometimes when we do salvation prayers, we start off with this statement, God, it's me. And it came from a young man in a high school youth group that came up afterwards and asked if he could accept Christ. And I said, sure, why don't you, why don't you, you know, let's pray that out. And he goes, I've never prayed before. And I said, well, then let's just, first time prayer. And he started off the prayer with, God, it's me. And it shook me. Because he knew that God knew him and that God accepted him. He didn't even have to say his name. So whether it's turning down the radio and 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 driving in your car, or five minutes in the morning, or or time in the shower, or or maybe it's with somebody else that teaches you, spend time with God in prayer. I know it can be scary, especially if you've never tried it, but consider it, because it's a really important part about turning on the lights and actually seeing the obstacles God's going to walk you through overcoming. Uh, I think it's so important as a matter of fact that in january i'm working on right now doing a church-wide prayer series So we can all kind of get a refresh And so that there's a lot of new folks and a lot of spiritually curious folks that That have only spent most of their time in meditation not actually Prayer, which it's very similar, but there are some really neat aspects to both And so we'll talk about that probably in january So for those of you who are prayer warriors be praying about the prayer series in january teaching us about prayer Now back to peter and rhoda Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two shoulders, soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And this is where you need to really let your mind soak up scripture. Really, really listen to all these words and try to ask, okay, why, why is that being said and why is this being said? Because you need to see some of the context that happens when God starts to remove boundaries in a person's life. First off, we have what I'm going to call the rudest angel in the Bible. That's who shows up in this cell right now. And I think he gets a little bit offended. That's just based on how I read the text. You can pick it up however you want. Verse 7 says, And behold, an angel, he's not even named. A lot of them are And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. And it says this phrase, And a light shone in the cell. Why is that important? Why do we need to know that? Well, I think we need to know it because it didn't wake up the soldiers Somehow they were miraculously asleep. It didn't wake up the guards. Somehow they were miraculously still asleep. But it certainly was supposed to wake up Peter, who apparently didn't wake up. Because then it says he struck Peter on the side and, said, and woke him up saying, get up quickly. So it says a light shines. Peter doesn't wake up, and he's supposed to. And the angel strikes him, smacks him, maybe in the shoulder, maybe not, maybe right across the face. We don't know. He wakes up Peter and says, get up quickly. And it says the chains fell off his hands. And then Peter apparently does nothing. He doesn't say like, what, let's go. Like, yeah, stand up. He doesn't even respond. The angel's just looking at him. It's like getting a six year old ready for church on Sunday. The chains fell off his hands. And the angel, there's a long pause I'd like to think. And then the angel said to him, "Um, how about you dress yourself and put on your sandals? And he did so. And then the angel and Peter are sitting there. And then he goes, Okay, how about wrap your cloak around you and follow me? At this point, the angel's like, I said, so why do they give me someone cooler than Peter? Like, this is 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 so frustrating. I got to walk this kid through everything. But Peter does. He puts on his cloak, cloak and he follows him. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and second guard, here's the first door, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and listen to this, it opened for them of its own accord. Ooh. And they went out and went along the street and immediately the rude angel just left him. <laughs> That's what it says. And immediately he's like, I'm done, you're out. Doesn't give him any directions. He's just like, well, this was terrible. He just goes back to heaven. Right, he leaves him there. They leave, he leaves Peter just sitting there and Peter has to come to himself. And then he has this revelation. Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter immediately recognizes something really powerful that sometimes God opens doors on his own. That sometimes it has nothing to do with, our, with, with anything we've done. It has nothing to do with our obedience. It has nothing to do with like some skill we have. I wish more and more Christians would realize and recognize all the doors God has opened in their lives all on his own just because he's God. I wish there was more glory going around for Jesus, more glory going around for God. But a lot of times what we Christians like to do is tie the open doors in our lives to some powerful thing we think we did so that we can tell other people subconsciously to act more like us. Or worse, we don't tell anybody about the open doors, and we just walk through them like we deserve them. And we don't say a word. We need to recognize, and maybe you should stop, maybe you should journal all the open doors uh, this week sometime that God has opened for you all on his own, in spite of you. You're just asleep in your chains. And then he shows up, like door open, and you're like, whoa, cool. Then he's like, maybe put your shoes on. Okay, that sounds fun. Maybe put your cloak on. All right cool. Maybe get outside. Maybe go live the life I wanted you to live. And then we're like, oh, this is amazing. And instead of being like Peter going, look what God just did for me. We're like, it's probably because I'm awesome. Something to consider. Sometimes God opens doors all on his own. Story goes on. Peter realizes he's free and he decides to go to the house, the core of the church at that time, the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Peter's pretty high and excited about this powerful thing he experienced, about the glory of God, about the door that opened on its own. And he got to the house where where Mary—he got to that house, that house right there, where many were gathered together and were praying. And this is where where the story gets really exciting for me. And he gets up to the house, and he's super excited about this powerful thing God did, and he knocks on the door of the gateway. And a servant girl named Rhoda answers— Rhoda, it's me, Peter. What? It's me, Peter. They're inside praying for you right now. I know, I know, Rhoda. It's incredible what God did. Rhoda opened the door. Rhoda, Rhoda's gone. It says in the Bible that Rhoda came to answer when he knocked on the door, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So Peter's got like this amazing experience that's happening and he gets to the door and a teenager blocks him. Like wouldn't you think just for a second that like he would be like, all right, where's that rude angel at? And I wonder if their angel's like, I was supposed to show up and open this door, but I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. I'm tired of dealing with you, Peter. You can just get through Rhoda. But Rhoda takes her job serious. And so she doesn't open the door. She does what she's told, which is go back and tell the leaders. This is like a story I heard a few months ago of my daughter, Elena, who works in children's. And uh, Keith is big on safety in our church. And so one of the things, if you don't bring uh, your, your pass for your kids to get your children back out, uh, he had a big thing for a while back where then you need to ask for ID in order to check these kids out. So my daughter, Elena, is pretty linear, and she took that stuff really serious. She's a little like Rhoda. And I heard the story that Dave, our worship leader, my uncle, that's Dave's my uncle, his wife, uh, my Aunt Diane, so Elena's great aunt, went to go check out her grandkids from from children's ministry. And Elena said, okay, sure, do you have, you know, your your thing you give for the kids? And she goes, oh, I don't, Elena, I forgot. And then my lady just paused and went, can I see your ID? (laughs) Because she had a job to do. Like, like, it's her aunt, but she's like, mm, mm, pass it over. And that's sort of what Rhoda's about, right? She's like, this is my job. It's my one job in the church, and, and Peter, I'm so excited that you'll be here here. I'll be right back. And this is to drive home that point that even though Peter's Peter, even though he is this spiritual giant, sometimes we need other people's help to open the doors before us. The door didn't get prayed open. There was an angel that opened it. He needed Rhoda to open the door, and she didn't. And so the door stayed closed. This is a a big part of what we're doing right now, like in our men's tour, where men are gathering to talk about what it's going to look like to have this men's ministry in January. And honestly, the hardest part about the men's tour and even getting men to talk and gather is that men like to open doors by themselves. And yet they have so many parts of their lives that need other men and other people to help them open those doors. It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. It doesn't matter if you are the rock of the church itself, 10 minutes out of a miracle. Apparently, you need other people in the church to open doors for you because Rhoda just left him standing there. Rhoda goes in to that fervently praying church. She walks in and they know, they probably hear footsteps and they're like, man, somebody put her by the door. She's already back out. That's why we gave her the door job in the first place. But she comes in and she interrupts everybody and she tells them all that Peter is at the gate. Acts chapter 12, verse 15 says, they said to her, you are out of your mind. This the amount of respect they have for Rhoda. But she kept insisting that it was so And they kept saying, it is his angel, but Peter continued knocking outside the door while she's arguing with them that, no, he's really here. And this is a really important thing to realize for those of us who are prayer warriors. Sometimes we are the ones actually keeping the doors closed in our lives, and God actually does bring the miracle to your life, and it's knocking, but you're just refusing to go and answer it because you're too busy, like, doing the thing that you are known for doing. You're too busy doing the work of ministry to actually experience the minister himself. This is such an important piece of us as a church. Don't make going to Kesed the most important thing about Kessid. Make going, make bringing people to Kessid. Make learning and going away from Kesed. This is the least important part of your entire church life. I don't know if you realize that. This is only a percentage of church. Church happens when you leave here. And you have to decide to open those doors. And it's important to pray and it's important to gather and it's important to do those things. But how sad that the miracle they prayed for was at the door And they didn't believe that he was present. They were praying earnestly for an open door, yet they did not believe the answer to their prayers when it came. The passage goes on. It closes like this. And when they opened, finally, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. And I love that he said, Tell these things. Make sure you note what's going on in this room because it's so important. And somewhere in there, Peter thought it was important enough for whoever penned this to go to Rhoda and say, Hey, what's your name? Did you really leave Peter outside? Yeah, I had a responsibility. My job's to protect the church. But it was Peter. My job's to protect the church. But it. Okay, it's awesome. Like her name's in the text. When. Nobody else's except Peter's is. We have small and big jobs to do. And so just because you haven't been around for a long time or you've not been a part of church forever doesn't mean that you can't find a place where you can be part of his community. The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelations, and it gives one last description of Jesus and a door, except this time it says he is standing at the door and knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. My hope today is that you realize at the end of this series that Jesus don't care about what's in the way. That he doesn't care about your poor decisions, your failures, your weakness. He doesn't even care about the secret things you think that even he doesn't know about. What he cares about is you. And so my hope today right now is that Maybe for the first time in this series, or maybe for the first time in your whole life, maybe you don't just look at the obstacles, or maybe you don't just look at the door. You actually answer it, and you pass through the way. Maybe that's what today's about. It's about experiencing that miracle of overcoming. It's about being authentic with the fact that you don't know. It's about recognizing that maybe you, your addiction... Is, is righteousness. Maybe your addiction is reputation. Maybe your addiction is shame. Maybe your addiction is, 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 uh, is, is serving. Maybe your addiction is, is something that the world thinks is actually healthy, but it's actually keeping you from the relationship you're supposed to be. Maybe your job is to guard a door. Maybe your job is to pray fervently. Maybe your job is to be freed from shackles and tell everybody about it. But you and I, we have to decide that whatever's in the way of our happiness, if it's a relationship, if it's a heartbreak, if it's a disappointment, if it's lack of forgiveness, whatever it is, Jesus has a doorway through it for you right now. He is the hope of the world. And he is the hope of your world. If you'll be authentic, that he is what you need. So I'm gonna have everyone close their eyes bow their heads if you've never answered the doorway of christ in your life then i want to give you an opportunity to do that you're just going to start off by being still and within your mind because god understands that just saying quietly to yourself jesus it's me i know that you have more for my life than this and i pray right now god that you would show it to me I recognize that you died on the cross to provide a doorway for me to have more than just this day-to-day routine and burden-bearing struggle. Please come into my story and change it. With all the heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for the people who know God but just don't spend any more time with him. God, all of us in this room who call ourselves Christians get distracted by the things of this world and so I pray now that there would be a rekindling, that there would be a, an awakening, that the remnant of faith that we have not breathed life into hardly at all would suddenly and miraculously blossom within our stories, that there would be more fruit and that it would not be stolen, that there would be legacy dysfunction broken, that there would be uh, things that have, been, that have been robbed, returned, that, God, we would know that we know that you are our Lord and that you love us. I thank you, God, that we can spend this time praying for that overcoming. I thank you, God, that we can spend this time reaching for that door to open, for you are waiting on the other side. May we pass through our our, uh, barrier, our obstacles to reach you, for you are the way, the truth, and the life. We sing this to you now in great reflection. Amen.
1: so worship this is a place so of- It's coming In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles.